everything set up. <laughs> I was not ready. So I, I, I've been there many times. So I, I use this thing called BlueStacks, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's an emulator. So it allows oh, yeah. you to, basically it allows you to run a computer on a phone on your computer. Oh, sick. Oh, run. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. Exactly, right? Except yeah. that I've had mad issues with my PC. I had to reinstall Windows and shit. And I get here and I'm like, okay, let's launch BlueStacks. And it's like, I don't have BlueStacks. Like, right. <laughs> and then like everything getting back set up and it's like oh shit yeah i'm with you i'm with you um right i got a lot of homies in this chat um if everyone can drop a comment bottom right retweet the space out for my homie pedro it'd mean a lot i appreciate that a lot sir um hopefully i mean the best i can do is make it enjoyable so oh, how was the how was the town hall Really good, really good. It's always fun kicking about in the community. Like, um, yeah, it's always interesting because um, the the questions you get in the Google form are like always a little bit disconnected. And I always just get the feeling that the people that ask the questions in the Google form never actually turn up to the town hall. Um, so we work through all these questions, and it feels like a little bit like uh, feels a little bit what's the word regimented or rigid. Um, and then you get through the end of it and then the community just start like asking questions in main chat and it turns into a bit more of a free flowing conversation, which is always good fun. And you get into like some, some meaningful moments. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like town halls. I like town halls more than spaces because I feel like you can let your, I mean, I always speak probably a bit too much with, with, with no filter on. Um, but I feel like in town halls, like it's even more walls down and you can just really just like be super, super open, super transparent. Um, it's just a good environment. It's not, not taxing for me. Yeah, I mean, Twitter is always that place where it's it's a lot more front facing and anyone can join, right? Whereas here on on Discord, like you're on your project, you're with holders, and if holders are actually going out of their way to go on a town hall, you know they're probably supporting you, right? And they don't have any like shitty intentions or to just like bring it all down, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and space is always an interesting one. Like spaces, again, like you get a lot of people that aren't really familiar with you or your project or your culture. So you, you do need to be a bit more mindful of how like you present yourself. Um, whereas again, like in town halls, like, I think everybody really kind of gets the gist of things. So different vibes, but yeah, always fun. Yeah, okay. So do you think that's part of being a founder? Like the intensity and the stress of uh, like basically the holders that put pressure and the pressure from all of Twitter and everything? Um... Seems like it is. Wait, what was the first part of that question? The, I mean, I just keep it at, like the pressure associated to being a founder and having that project, which you probably wouldn't have if you weren't in the position that you're in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's difficult because I don't think anyone really puts more pressure on ourselves and the, the team itself. Um, the community, like, the, I do genuinely see the community as like my friends, um, and they're just never people you want to let down. But I like. I'm just so grateful for the community that we do have. Like I very conscious and, and aware of a lot of other communities, which are super unreasonable, um, super demanding, like intolerant. Um, whereas our community has just always been the opposite of that. And I just, it's just a miracle really. Um, and it, it just makes for a really nice environment. So it's like, I don't feel pressure at all. I just feel like a, a real responsibility to make sure that like, like again i see them as friends i make sure that like my friends feel like they're in safe hands i mean i, I hopefully like 
make make them always feel like they're being taken care of or hopefully make them feel like they're in the loop about anything like when things go wrong like we try to be transparent and upfront about it and, and ship things as aggressively as possible um but yeah like i guess in a way it is kind of a pressure but it's, it's definitely not like a negative pressure okay is there like any reason because i think i've already spoken to people who've mentioned that that they have such a great community and i think what I was talking, I was talking to this with Bunjil like a week ago, and the genuine impression that like people like you have is that you're lucky to have that community, which is so good. But you really have that distinction between some communities that are like a massively positive force and the other ones who are just bringing you down and just calling you out and having that pressure, which is obviously usually a vocal minority, right? But regardless, and the general sentiment is that having that great community is luck, but I don't feel like that would be completely accurate, right? So is there? do you think there's any reasons why the Fracturing Gods have managed to collect such a great group of people? I mean, it, we, we, it's been two years. It's been two years. Um, and I think, like, you, I, over that, like, time, you, you build up, like, a, a bedrock, like, community, bedrock family. Um, I mean, people that are, the homies that are listening are obviously, that must be a broken record at this point, keep going on about bedrock community. Um, but you get these shakeouts, so you get the like the, almost kind of tourists that kind of come in, check out the project. Maybe they linger for like a week or two, and eventually they fade out. Um, but every so often, someone joins, they really get it, they really connect with the group of people, and they end up staying. Um, and over time, that kind of builds and builds. And it's like for sure, we've had like really tough times within the community. We've gone through like toxic times. You've gone through really difficult times as well, especially as the market started like taking the turn for a worse. Um, but over time, yeah, like that bedrock community does build. Um, I wouldn't say there was any kind of secret source to it. I wouldn't say there was any kind of intentional design there. Just more, it's just time. Uh, like we've just been around for a really long time. And like for the people that have been around since before Mint, like these are really, really strong social bonds. Like this is, you can't, you can't leapfrog that. You can't like just jump your way to the end. Like there's just cold, hard man hours um, and a good culture. Like uh, the, the community's never, like we've always been, uh, I think the presence of Yaga has definitely helped a lot, but like we've never really been like weird like internet trolls. Like we've always tried to ha- hold ourselves in good regard. Um, we've always tried to be really respectful of other people. We've really, always tried to be really respectful of other projects. Like we try not to see things as competitive. We try to support other projects and and view the pie getting bigger as opposed to getting smaller slices. Um, and I think just all those little things again over those two years have just left us in this position that we're at now. And I'm just yeah so so grateful to be there. Yeah, time seems to be a, a very important factor. I guess at the same time, you have to keep it alive, right? Because if, if you can have all the time in the world, if you don't manage to keep it. Very hard to do. Keeping it alive is, is so hard. <laughs> so hard. Um, and it's like the amount of times that we've, we've, been, we've genuinely been like intimidated by like new teams, new projects coming into the market and like watching like these what should be just colossal teams that come into the market, they have all this hype, all this build up and we're viewing them and it's like, oh shit, like these guys are, the, are like a real deal or whatever. And then like, you see them come up, you see them have their like their moment and then they kind of like die out over time. And like a lot of them like haven't sustained it. Um, and that, that's become like a real badge of honor for us at the moment because surviving is like one of the hardest things to do, um, especially in this space. So yeah, really, really proud of that. Um, I think yeah. and, that, and that goes down to the community as well. Like we would not be anywhere without that community having that like long-term vision. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> surviving, one of the hardest things to do. So 
off that like mention of the, the like the scary entries of a new of a new project is there anyone that comes to mind where you were seriously like oh fuck this is this might be like i don't know if the word is dangerous but i don't know the most terrifying entry of a project um, that dissipated in flow off it'd be a good example it's hard to say it's not dunking on anyone too hard um yeah let me have a look i mean like okay here's an example so dad um and i know so dad had a lot of controversy and i know the founder like came up and he rugged or whatever but like not necessarily intimidating but it's like we've been we'd been in the market for i don't know like a year and two months or whatever and then this project so dead comes out um the artwork is what it is the roadmap was what it was and it just exploded it saw more volume than anything else it had a floor price of like 40 to 50 like people were swapping d gods for them and it was just like holy shit like this just doesn't seem fair like this is just crazy um and then like time went on lo and behold and then like the whole situation played out i think that and again like the same thing could be said about ghost kid dow like that was all the ra- not Ghost Kids, sorry. Who's the other one? Gothic DJs, for example. Um, like again, a team that came out super hot out the gate, and they were doing all these collaborations. They were partnering with Digos, and, and it just like you just almost kind of feel a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit like just is this really, like this is the competition? It's so hard to like you can't keep up with that sort of thing. Um, but like yeah, like the timelines always play out, and that longevity does show. Um, and you see that all the time with new mints. Like I remember having a back and forth with, I think it was a community member, might even be the team member. Um, and they were being like, well, what's the point in holding onto a guard when I can sell a guard and I can get three new, three more of this new mints? And I was like, it's almost become a learned behavior. So like every time you see this new hype project in it, you get people that like sell their guards position, try mint this new thing, and it doesn't end up succeeding. And it's just like that kind of that rigidity um, and time in the market is, is a form of safety in a way. Um, so yeah, just in another really interesting paradigm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it is what it is, right? Each time you have those sales for sure. Did you, is, was there ever a time where a mint happened and you felt the need to react and do something to stop the liquidity from leaving? Or at this point, have you just learned to like, let it slide and it's going to come back eventually? Never, right? never. Um, I mean, like, again, like, whenever you see a new men, it's not like, you're always going to see the liquidity drains. It's true. Like, especially while there's, like, I mean, we're really fortunate enough that Mad Lads has gone the way it has. But before Mad Lads, I think we were at, on, like, 3,424-hour, like, daily buyers, um, which is such a tiny amount of people still playing around in Solano. It's like every time you get a new hot mint that's coming out, a lot of that is just going to, they're going to be passing liquidity around. So there wasn't really a lot you could do to mitigate that. And also, you're kind of swimming upstream. Like, the speculative opportunities of minting something for the first time is really hard to compete with. These are opportunities that you would never see in a Web2 kind of world. Like, it's essentially you're, like, you're getting access to a seed investment for every new team and project that comes into it. That's obscene. Um, so it's really difficult to compete with that. So it's like for us, it's always just been about like continuing to build on the quality of the project over time as opposed to matching like these big momentous moments whenever a hot mint comes in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like... Obviously, if you're going to try to fight it each time, you're just going to get screwed. Is there, like, just personally, it makes me think of that, the outlook that sometimes you need to think both long-term, right? Because you need to be aware of every all the repercussions and what can happen in the future. And at the same time, you need to be aware of what's happening short-term, which is what all the mints are, right? But in this world where you don't know what the fuck is going to happen in six months or in a year, it's hard to balance the two, right? So how have 
you kind of seen that? It, I mean, it's a great question. Um, and it's just something that we like, often something we talk about with Yaga as well. Because um, you think about what the fracture is trying to be. And like the fracture is trying to be this, this large, world-recognized fantasy saga. Um, and even to do something like that takes years of work. Like writers, authors, teams spend five, six years creating an in-depth fantasy world with like a screenplay-ready story within it. That's a, it's an obscene amount of work. They put it in 99 times out of 100. It's a passion project because there isn't a lot of like demand for this sort of thing. Um, so they put all of this time into this project. They launch this thing and then who knows how it reacts. Whereas I think we've found like a really nice formula where we are spending all the time building out the story, building out these characters, building out this world, building out the truths of the world, the narrative that is told. And of that six-year writing process, we are still doing that. However, along the way, we're kind of Trojan forcing that story with all of these various different products and campaigns and launches. So it's like people kind of get that degen aspect of it where they can have all these short-term fluctuations and they can have these exciting events. And that enables us to not only build up our own financial independence, but it also allows us a lot of time to build out the story, which just takes forever. Um, so it really does kind of suit us in a way. Um, and it provides a really unique opportunity for us to build out a fantasy saga like this um, in a way where, again, we don't have to give up everything for nothing. Was the, because I don't obviously know everything about the fracture, right? So bear with me if I ask like stupid questions. But was it always the objective of the fracture and soul gods to have the element of like creating that story and like this fictional no, no, not at all. Um, so okay. when when God, the gods first ever minted, like it was right off the back of the Solomander's mint. So again, people are obviously pretty familiar with the story by now in the community. But we saw the Solomander's mint. They raised it. I think it was around like five, six million dollars. Um, and it and I've seen it. Yeah, now. it was, and it was just like consulting. Like I mean, I was I was doing my PhD at the time. Um, I was writing for Coin Telegraph, um, and I was really interested in like anonymous culture and like these, these JPEG cultures and all these like online avatars and pseudonymous identities. I thought it was really interesting, um, and it, it made me deep dive it a bit more. I know at the time I was covering the DGN eight exiled ape story, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, and I felt like pseudonymous like identities nfts allowed for wasn't being represented well enough by salamanders like it just that wasn't it um so we thought there was a gap in the market for just a cool identity this kind of baseless anonymous faceless being being the god um kind of like a, a parallel on what it is like to be anonymous online where you don't you can't really make up a lot about what that individual is um you can only kind of get an idea for who they are by the content of what they say um so that was like that was like the seedling of the idea, and I put this together with like my my childhood best friends, um, and it ended up being like this really like momentous thing. Like people really liked the artwork, and the story started off where I think it was on like just a week before launch. I put together like a little mini backstory to give like these characters some context, um, and it was all it was all about like the the way that like the world at the moment is hurtling in development and we're kind of like throwing caution to the wind um, because we want to prioritize development. We want to pr prioritize progress. Um, it's like, who cares what the consequence of AI is? It's really fucking cool. Let's just throw another $3 trillion at it and see what happens. Like who cares that resources are plummeting? Like, let's just go and fucking do it. Like, it was, it was just all this kind of like ballsy blase attitude to just any kind of caution. And like the gods kind of represented that like catalytic moment where like, the human race has to like finally pay for the deeds that they've done or whatever. Um, and we created this enigma, which was this whole deep puzzle around it. And it was like about the inception of the gods. And like, 
it got loads of traction and it was loads of fun and people liked it. Um, and it just snowballed from there. Um, and then obviously we brought on Yaga, who is a professional writer, um, that has just kind of evolved it. So it's like, it just started as like a seedling, a feeling, an idea. Um, and it's just snowballed into what it is now. Um, and yeah, like the, the fully sat now and just building out this fancy IP because it's just, it's felt so organic and it's felt so demand driven. Um, the why not is the full realization of its potential. So how much of the storytelling comes from you personally? Uh, not a lot anymore. Um, I mean, like there's the, I think somewhere in the archives, there's like the original one that I typed up like a while back. Um, but yeah, Yaga's like, she's just, she's just another level. Um, she's really, really good. Um, I mean, I workshop a lot with Yaga, um, just so that we are on the same page and like visions are aligned there as well. Um, but yeah, like most of the story comes from Yaga. Uh, a lot of the story comes from the community in a weird way. Um, cause we need to put feelers out. We need to see what has demand, what doesn't have demand. Obviously, anyone within the community knows that Eve is like a real popular character within the Fracture. So obviously, she becomes one of the leading characters. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting development. But Yaga does a lot of the actual like um, hard miles of like story development. Okay, yeah. So it's it, like, how did you, was it a hard, did it just make a lot of sense to pivot into that idea of the storytelling and creating something around that? Or was it like a hard decision? I mean, no, uh, I wouldn't even say it was a pivot. I would just say it was like following the path of least resistance. Like we had these characters, we provided context for these characters and then we, we made this puzzle and it just opened up this like maze. And it was like, everyone, like, we all just wanted to find the truths about these characters. We wanted to find the depths of these characters and then, like, as things kind of evolved, we realized the potential of all of this. Um, so I wouldn't say it was so much as pivoting. It was just, like, again, yeah, following the path of least resistance for the project and letting it kind of evolve naturally. So at this point, if you had to say, if you had to, like, describe a really grandiose goal of what you wish, like, the fracture could become, like, some distant off huge objective huge milestone that you'd wish you could reach what would you call it what well i've always i've always had the gold stat so we we almost work with axis studio um and this was right on the tail end of the bull market um i think they wanted around three four million dollars in order to work with them um which was a little outside of our price range um we could have done a fundraise to get there but it would have left us in a really sticky position um but for me the gold standard of the fact and axis studio for anyone that isn't in the world the same studio behind love death and robots which is one of my favorite tv series you can you can watch on netflix um yeah i think that that's always been a gold standard for me is to turn the factory into like a little five-part mini series like each episode at like 10 to 15 minutes long um but i think there, there's steps of getting there i mean maybe the gold standard is turning this into a feature-length film maybe the gold standard is turning this into a series of books um we have various like scenes and chapters already written out within the medium and, and like the next like sensible evolution of us is bringing this into like a really culturally significant like graphic novel um, but obviously the barriers there is making sure that the art is just on another level. We always like to pride ourselves on putting out really good artwork. Um, but in order for a graphic novel to not only have a high, like, um, 
high volume of reception within the crypto space. It needs to have a high like reception outside of it. So we need to be setting up a, a stall at Comic-Con and offering these, these graphic novels out there and people having no context about this project and it seemed meaningful. Um, so they're the kind of steps that we take to get there. And like, in terms of like grand visions, like, yeah, like we need that form of flagship media and it would end up being this world recognized brand. It was the first story that was built out, built through web three. The first screenplay ready. Like we see, we've seen lots of like punts. It we've seen like some gimmicks. Like oh, we are the first like quote unquote movie in Web three. Like we're selling like segments of the film as NFTs and all of that. But like it doesn't really encapsulate what that story should be. And I think there's something really empowering about this. These these group of people that circled around this idea and let it develop into something much much bigger than what it started out being. Um, yeah, that's like a dream of mine. Yeah, it's a fucking banger dream. My dumbass heard Love Death, the the Axie Studios, and I was thinking about Axie Infinity, and I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> but so, um, I, just like on a random, not really a tangent, but on like my own personal thought, I don't know. Have you watched The Mandalorian? I have not watched The Mandalorian. So beyond that, I mean, at the end of The Mandalorian, they have their credits, and the credits roll, and for each basically i don't know every like 10 15 seconds they change images as the background and the background's got to be from their from their storyboard Mm -hmm. right and it's some what what i find is like really beautiful art of how they've built Mm -hmm. the story and i don't know it just sounds really cool because it makes me it reminds me of like that art that you've already posted on well this this which looks really yeah i mean like this is something like when you think about building like building a fantasy saga building like a world ip's it's so tricky. There's so much to it. Like, but first of all, you need to set the mood, paint me a picture, like draw me these environments. That's why we have like these large apocalyptic landscapes and all this weird symbolism and these kind of like um, apocalyptic soldiers, like discovering and navigating their way through this world. It's like, okay, well, you set the tone now. Now we need some characters. I need to care about someone. Like who is Vic? Who is Harrison Higgs? Who are these characters? Who are the gods? Where did they come from? What did the gods want? Uh, who are the bridged? What are the conflicts within the story? Okay, and it's like, once you've hashed out all the characters, it's like, okay, well, what's the narrative device? Who's the protagonist? Who are you going to tell the story in? Are they relatable? Um, how are they going to explore the world? So it's like, you've got to build these up layers by layers. Um, I think, like, one of the coolest ways to kind of realize this is going through, like, various art books. Um, so I think, like, Elden Ring, obviously, have a really good art book. Um, there was, what's the other? There was another game that came out recently. It was really, like, disgusting and gross. Um, but they had a super cool art book and usually how they flow is like a good is like kind of eye-opening for how these kind of things are written where again it's like painting the scene setting the mood and then building into these characters building into the equipment they use um so you can see how these things like evolve but again it's like it's like a six seven year process for a lot of this um and 99 of them um never really make it into any kind of tangible consumer facing product it's just passion projects from various different creatives um, Web3 just provide a really fortunate opportunity where you can kind of build these things out loud and gain financial independence as a result of that. And that's corporate financial independence. So you don't have to sell 90% of your um, 90% of your rights to whatever studio that can put the funding behind a film for the first time ever. You've got creative teams that can fund their own media, um, which is a massive empowering opportunity um, and something that I feel really proud of. That's the Awesome. So you have this creative process, right? And from like my point of view, I've never really gone through that creative process, obviously. And But I have found like immense pleasure in, you know, when you like dive into a new book or a new show and you're discovering a completely new world, completely new characters, and you get to the end of it 
and you want more of that world of that universe of discovering new planets if it's star wars or new lands if it's lord of the rings or whatever other like massive world but so how what are the main differences that you found between actually being the person who creates this universe when you're discovering it on your own and both discovering and creating at the same time compared to that experience of just being led into it and shown what that universe is so I think what you're asking here is like what kind of like leads to creative process. Is it like creating new or is it like discovering what's already there? Is that right? That and also, well, that and also what the major difference for you between that and the process of just enjoying it of someone who reads the book and doesn't make it. That's a really great question because I don't think there's a lot of difference. Like we are all fans of it. Um, and when there's a bit more context around these characters or when there's more content, it will get to the point where it's like, if we release something, people will be like, oh, well, Eve wouldn't really do that. Like, that's not, it doesn't suit her personality or that's not kind of a tightest, like, evolution there. Um, and that's kind of what it looks like in the writer's room where people are, like, fans of the project first and we've got to think about, like, okay, well, what would this character do? Like, these guys have their own kind of personality and independence. Uh, so it's like the context that we give these characters evolve that story in its no natural way. Um, but yeah, beyond that, like it, it is really tricky as well because you need to appease the masses. Like it needs to be an enjoyable story for a lot of people, but at the same time, it's also got to be unique and ballsy in its own way. Um, and like the way that we've always like the the the, the core like word within the fracture is brutal. Like beyond anything, like the story really needed to be brutal. It needed to react like reflect some real cold, harsh realities of life. Um, like actions have consequences and that was like what the fracture is the fracture is like a story of consequence really um so yeah it's like the creative process like you have various pillars um you create various truths around the world um and then you explore what that world would look like yeah and so on like the same type of question of what's the difference between two things it's there's that process of creating the world and then there's that process of telling the story to someone. And I was watching or reading something about, for example, J.K. Rowling, right, who wrote all of Harry Potter and who was the creative director or the, I don't know what role, for the latest um, Fantastical Beast movie. And the criticism was that she's someone who's great at creating the world and making a universe and making it all make sense together, but that leading someone through that universe surrounded around one character was not something that she managed to do in a compelling way. So do you like, do you have a take on that difference of creating the world, making it all make sense together, but being able to show someone the select parts that you want to show them to weave a story that is interesting and enjoyable. So the analogy that I like to use here is why Jurassic Park two and three were really bad, but why Jurassic Park one was great. And it comes from that like narrative vessel. Unfortunately, we haven't got around to doing that yet. So this isn't a bridge that we've had to uh, cross just yet ourselves. But the the difference is, is like, and it's similar like concepts to just in development with user experience. It's like, well, what's going to provide the nicest form of passage? And Jurassic Park One was really cool because these were characters that were not in the know. They weren't park rangers. They weren't scientists. They were tourists, and they were exploring this world for the first time, exactly like the audience. Whereas in two and three, you'd already seen the world. Um, and it's harder to get that sense of exploration. 
Um, so when we come to the narrative vessel within our project, which is Vic, who's the main protagonist of the Forgotten Collection, well, so if that's the plan at the moment, um, things could change. The protagonist may end up being Eve. Uh, depends, like, how things evolve. Anyway, long story short. Um, but Vic had a very sheltered life to begin with. And her kind of, like, breakout moment within the story is that kind of, like, event of exploration where she herself is discovering this world for the first time with the audience. And that's what kind of makes it really exciting. Um, so, and, and again, but there's, 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 it's incredibly difficult and there's thousands of creatives, millions of creatives um, that attempt to do exactly what we're doing. It's very, very difficult. Um, and there's no one way of doing it. Again, like being like experimental sometimes is the key here. Um, but like, yeah, paying like homage to like true narrative devices is, is super important there. Like making sure that the audience, you're putting yourselves in the position of the audience and trying to tell a story that will be compelling to them no matter what the context On the same, well, there's that topic where you, you watch a show, right? And you build a fan base around it, which in this case is pretty much your holders, who will then have expectations around the show and will have things they want to see or things they don't want to see. How do you balance that creation? Like, you want to create your own story and you want to follow your vision and make it compelling to the audience. Like, as you were mentioning, through that vision of the audience but at the same time you need to keep them on their toes and surprise without disappointing them right a, like basic comparison game of thrones where up to like season five six right people loved it no one wanted oh fuck i shouldn't spoil this no one wanted some people to die but they did and it still is a great show after you know certain weddings for example um <laughs> how do you balance that I mean, I was actually a fan of the Red Wedding. Um, <laughs> I think it's George R. R. Martin. Says people need to die. Like loved characters need to die. Um, I think that's true in a lot of stories. That's life. It's life. Um, that's what stories are. They're like an escape and a reflection of that life at the same time. You're you're learning lessons vicariously through these fictional characters. Um, so I think having those brutal realities is important. Um, and I guess that kind of answers the question as well. Like what the audience wants isn't necessarily what the audience gets um, to a degree, to a degree. Like that's the, that's the beauty about kind of writing this story out loud is we kind of get live feedback on what this is, what, how we're developing this. If people are happy with it, if people want to see changes, um, which you don't get typically. So if we were to spend five, six years creating the story behind closed doors, we bring it out to the public and we never really had that feedback at all. Maybe from various people that are involved in the writer's room, but to build a fan base around like the actual inception of that story to begin with is really, really unique. Um, and it helps curate a lot of it. Um, but yeah, again, like you can't always have the happy endings. You can't always have the smooth sailing. Like you need to have these brutal reality, these brutal reminders of what, what life is. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very true. And it does remind like exactly as you were saying, uh, George R. R. Martin with the comments are just like, yeah, some people, some people just need to fucking die. Um, but then you also have other storytelling, like Tolkien's, where the main characters don't die, and it's still a very compelling story that a lot of people have enjoyed in time, right? So can both work? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, it depends on the type of story. It depends on the context. It depends on who the audience is. I mean, a lot of fiction that is successful at the moment isn't something that I would 
I would rate too highly. The same even goes for fucking non-fiction at the moment. Literature world at the moment is a shambles. Anyway, different story. Um, yeah, but I think like on the subject of what the factor is, and the factor again is supposed to be like a cautionary tale of human advancements and ignorance and trying to out-develop our way out of problems um, and what the kind of brutal reminders of that will be. Um, which again is why like the underlying theme of the factor is just brutality. Um, because that is what consequences will be. It's easy to live in like ignorance. It's easy to live in like uh, an optimistic landscape, but a lot of the time that's not how it plays out. Um, and yeah, the fracture is, it does just that. It kind of fractures that like dream landscape. Um, it's like a cold, stark reminder of what reality is. Um, so I think that's the reason why we've taken the road that we have, but like, both paths can 100% work. That theme of brutality was created by you when you created that first uh, concept of the gods, right? Yeah, yeah. This, again, like why the uh, it had that kind of gothic, darker feel. So I think, well, well I like I enjoy it and think it's uh, it's fairly real. I think a lot of people might qualify it as somewhat depressing or down. What was the what like caused you to write something like that and to? create that background was it just based off of the art was the art based off of like an already pre-existing idea what like led you to this thing of consequences and brutality it was the initial story it was the initial story like why why did these faces beings exist um i can't wait to reimagine the gods in this kind of semi-photorealistic way that we've done the bridged in or kairos even um i think that's going to be a really cool evolution of the whole project but I, it wasn't the artwork that led it down this dark path. It, it's very much the feelings of the team, really. Um, and it was a story that we wanted to tell. It was a story that we thought was important. Um, and that goes back to what I was saying about like what makes a good story. Like Sometimes the things that are mass appeal aren't always the best route. Sometimes you need to be a bit ballsy. Sometimes you need to be a bit experimental. Um, I think Love, Death and Robots as well is a really good example of that. Like None of their stories are really positive uh they are stories about love death and robots um a lot of them are super dark um and i think that's kind of sign of the times like apocalyptic fiction moment is is like is a really big consumer facing like uh narrative at the moment um <laughs> humans have a tendency to to reflect consumer behavior depending on re- what realities are for example like after 9 11 um, the sales of like industrial like four by fours skyrocketed because it was like that perceived psychological safety. So I think that was an observation in free economics. Um, whereas in times of like kind of abundance and, and freedom, people look towards more sports cars. So it's like people kind of like manifest their like internal anxieties into their consumer facing uh, demands. Um, so I think like yeah, the the fracture is a kind of sign of the times at the moment, um, and I think that can be said about a lot of the the, the fictions that are doing well at the moment. Whether it's, um, I mean, Last of Us for example. I know obviously it's a really great gaming franchise, but again, like had really good reception because people feel uneasy about a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, it, it is what it is. It is the story that we that we wanted to tell. Okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, just that crafting the story has to be a fairly intense process. Are there times where you've had to scrap a lot of the work that you've done or like go back on things that were just like basically like any L's that you've taken while writing, I guess? I mean, fucking we take L's every week. Uh, Like we, 
I mean, for example, like we did a whole bridge collection that we completely threw away. We spent months on that. We didn't like it. We didn't even tell anyone about it. It was supposed to be a surprise. We ended up scrapping that. Um, yeah, we 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 scrap stuff all the time. We scrap stuff all the time. They're, they're always it's really really difficult. Um, from artwork, from dev to assets to like, it's just yeah, everything. Um, it's just, but that's one of the fun things about kind of building out loud um, or creating this thing out loud. Because um, again, with that instant feedback, you kind of get a feeling for how things are. So you don't. There is that. There's no like when you're doing this thing behind closed doors and you spend this years building this out. You don't really get that feeling of like, ah, oh, this this might not be received too well. We need to perfect this. Like when it's behind closed doors, there's no like critic until like the very last hurdle. So you can end up full sending ideas like way beyond when they should have really been like. I don't know, gut checked. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, we're always throwing things away and it's always causing internal conflicts, but just part and, part and process of like the creative, the creative process. Okay, so writing L's, right? But I think earlier you mentioned like just a completely different topic, by the way. Um, in this whole world, right, you have those highs and you have those lows as other people enter and then FTX crashes and everything fucking happens around you and you have no control over it. What would you say have been the lowest lows for you personally as a founder? Well, actually as a founder, just for you personally, but within Solana, NFTs, Web3, crypto? Um, the lowest low... I would say the lowest low for me personally was like maybe a week or two before Christmas. Um, we'd made like quite a large change to our roadmap uh, and it's quite a large negative change to the roadmap. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd stopped funding into the card game that we were developing. Like we've paused that until we're at a position of funding. We're kind of sitting on all of that dev work, all of those assets um, until we're at a position where it makes sense, likely going to be 2024. Um, and I think that got like around 40 to 50 likes, which is just very down for us. Um, so something that was going to be a really large like issue and we thought people would care loads about it, no one cared. Like literally nobody cared. Um, and that was the lowest point for us. Like no one cared so much to the point that no one was even giving us FUD. Like for me, there's like the hierarchy is people love you, people hate you, and then people don't care about you. Like people not caring is like the worst of the worst. Um and I remember like we had like quite a, a large discussion about it within the team discord that we have. Um, and we were saying like, Hey, like it's time. Like we, we, I think we kind of got a bit of PTSD from the year before where we'd come out with all these outlandish statements. Like we had all these super high ambitions. We were like, Hey, fuck it. We're going to aim high. This is what we're going to do. If we fall short, then fuck it. Um, and we did fall short and like, it came with some really harsh and negative comments um, and I think that affected everybody, it affected the community, it affected the team. And then we just put our tail between our legs and we're like, oh, we, we hope we can do this and we're going we're gonna to do our best and this, that and the And no one cared. No one cared. And we hit January and it was just like, look, we can either be modest and stay in our lane and wait till we ship products or we literally just fucking boot the door down and shout from the rooftops what we plan on doing. Like, we're going to say the absolute maximum of our ambition and we're going to full send it every fucking day. Um, and that led to some incredible things. Like we moved fast and we broke loads of shit, but we put ourselves back on the map and it was like momentous. But like, that was the lowest point for me for sure. was like people not caring. Like I, I, I obviously don't like FUD. I don't like negative comments, but the only thing I hate more than that is just people just not talking. Like if people are giving you fun and people are hating, it means that they care, which is really, really good. 
Um, but yeah, that was that was the lowest of lows for me. So on the opposite side, what was the highest high? Highest high. Um... Oh, I mean, it's got to be selling out the gods. Had to be selling out the gods. Um, I mean, me, my three childhood best friends had this cool idea. We did a modest raise. Everything was raising millions. We didn't raise anywhere near that. Uh, we thought, fuck it, let's just put out some artwork. We like no utility, no roadmap. Like, let's just make this cool profile picture and see what happens. It took like four or five hours to mint out. It minted out. It went straight below mint. And then all of a sudden, it just started rallying. And it was like, holy shit. Like, Life's had changed forever. Uh, like I dropped out of my PhD. It stopped writing for Coin Telegraph. All of my friends stopped. Like they dropped out of what they were doing. We just like fully entered this, and like I don't know. I think I'll, I remember that moment for for the rest of my life. Um, I remember like we tweeted out like the the Biggie Smalls jumper. Like it was all a dream. Like because that's what it was. Like we were just like four fucking kids that had a, had a, like an idea, had this crazy dream. We did it, and people loved it, um, and it was the best feeling in the world. And every day, we try to meet that. We try to make more shit that people love. Um, and fortunately enough, we have a community that do like a lot of what we put out. Oh, that's huge, man. That's so that's so fucking wholesome to be able to like come through that strong. So, wait, when did you actually make the choice to drop out of your PhD? I think it was around a month or two after after we launched, um, because like. It had gone from like, okay, it's like a fun experiment. We'll see what happens. Um, like, is this financially viable? Um, like, I'm giving up a lot of prospects here. I like, I spent three years trying to get onto my PhD. Like, I failed two years in a row, and it was like some of the most like hardest moments of my life. It was like picking up the courage to then apply the second time and then get rejected the second time. It was just like it took everything within me to apply for that third time. Actually, like, finally made it um and then i just like because my phd was on um how humans behave online um and more interestingly like the kind of centralization of behavior and consensus online um meaning that if you put together a pool of data saying i don't know cigarettes cause cancer um in order for that data to be considered true it needs to go through one centralized party um so we were working on this hybrid model of like anonymous um peer review so essentially reviewing academic papers but you wouldn't know who's reviewing it and that way you limit any kind of like um centralized manipulation any kind of corruption conspiracy um and it's like a fair way of doing it and lo and behold that was exactly how blockchain worked so that led me to researching blockchain i learned how blockchain works and like i turned into a fucking maniac um for like two weeks like i just became obsessed with blockchain i was like holy shit i didn't know this is like possible and it was infinitely powerful and empowering and i went back to my phd supervisor i was like hey like we've got to fucking include blockchain into this like it's the answer to everything that we've been working on and he just said it back to me like this is a pipe dream this is all a joke um and it was like right on the precipice of that i got the job writing for coin telegraph and then i did this and it was like i was looking at my options i was like this PhD, which mean, meant a lot to me, or this like incredibly disruptive in industry that I felt really pa- passionate about, and it was like I could see both of my life pathways. One was very safe, very easy. I didn't have a lot of responsibility. I could just go through this and just be a full time lecturer and make a decent wage and have summers off, or <laughs> I could full send it, work twenty four seven with my best friends in an industry that was fucking mental. And fortunately enough, I, I chose the blockchain route, which was about yeah, like two months after the gods admitted. 
it sounds like it would be a hard choice, but a lot of people who have asked this question to were like, no, nah, it, made, it made a fuckload of sense. This was an easy choice. So was it a hard choice or an easy choice for you? It's hard. Uh, well, I mean, it was hard. It was hard. It meant like the PhD meant a lot to me. Um, like it was like my life's goal for like seven years. Just to like get to the end of that fucking PhD. <laughs> uh, and then to spend so long getting onto it to then finally getting onto it to then just deciding to just like drop out. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, and like, even now, two years into it, like there's still no certainty of what we're doing. I mean, I've got a hell of a CV now, which is good. Um, but it is definitely a risk. And I, I definitely gave up a really safe life pathway, um, which would have meant I would, I mean, like I, I, I like running this shit, like demands a lot. Like I've given up a lot. I've like lost loads of friends. I never spend time with family. I work, seven days a week and most of those days are really tough like they're not enjoyable it's a lot of hard labor um so yeah like it's really difficult decision really really difficult decision um yeah and i i don't think there's i don't think there's much in it like i obviously feel incredibly proud of what we've done and i love what i do um but i also would have loved the other pathway so it's like they're very different lives but i think i would have been content with either but did you ever in your life expect that you'd, like before you had the PhD, ever expect to be doing anything in any similar kind of position of like no. founding a project? No, no, right. okay. no, no. I mean, I'd always been somewhat um, entrepreneurial, but never like seriously. Like I used to sell, like I used to work full time in ambulances alongside my PhD. And then when I'd get home, I would like make food in my kitchen. that I'd sell as takeaway food. Um, which made me like an extra like two three hundred quid a month um like I, I was always trying to like hustle or whatever but i never really like yeah nothing with the scope of what this is now um so yeah it was definitely a perspective shift and a, a huge learning curve as well and i think that ties back to what i was saying about being like having that imposter syndrome compared to looking at some of these projects that are coming in like people saying they've got like uh, i i used to work at i mean what was it, it was Fidelians for something minted recently um, and like the team are like super stacked out I've worked at this studio I've worked at that studio and it's like we haven't got this experience um, and it was like really scary like it was a bit of a cut check like can we keep up with these guys um, but uh, I think that's like one of the great like one of the fortunate things about the amount of time that's gone by is it does provide you with that kind of psychological assurance that hey like you can do this um, but yeah like yeah never never anticipated doing anything like this yeah, Jesus, man. That it must be like. Is there ever a time where you just like? Was there a moment basically where reality hit you and you were like, "What the fuck am I doing? Like, how did I go from like writing a PhD, planning on doing lectures, and then I'm sitting here in front of my computer writing a story with someone and preparing a new mint and JPEGs on the internet?" I, I mean. Like, yeah, every day, every day. Um, I mean, I, I've been working with the coach for like the last seven, eight weeks, maybe even longer than that now. Fucking hell, time goes quick. Um, and like one of the one of the exercises that we did the other day was like reflecting on like everything that's gone by. And it was just like, holy shit. Like, it's like a lifetime's worth of memories all like, piled into two years. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, proud of it proud of it made, made some damage made some memories made some people very upset made some people very happy um, just trying our best
Yeah, dude, that's like, it must be, I, I don't know, like, just that's such a surprise, because the, oh, I think we've lost you. here and I'm pressing on the reconnect button and it just says, do you want to end this space and stop the recording? And I'm like, no, I pressed the, <laughs> the record button. Fuck. I've never seen a full Twitter of spaces run to back. That's incredible. I'm happy. I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to get like another recorded one and like splice them all together. <laughs> it's going to be annoying. Okay. Awesome. We're back. Um, I think it cut off right as you, you didn't hear anything I say after you stopped talking, right? No, no, no. Okay, no. so I was going to go. Okay, I was going to mention like those friends that you started this with. How many are still with mm -hmm. you with the fracture? I mean, we like, we start like the four core of us are still there. Um, yeah, the four, the the main core four are still there. Um, but like, yeah, we've had loads of people come and go. Uh, like a few people that are like, hey, we're going to get involved. So we bring them into like moderating positions, or whatever. Um, but they just couldn't handle it. Um, but yeah, like the four people that started this is still the four people going two years later, which is, yeah, crazy to see. That's huge. That's all I mean. Has it, have you ever had a like conflict in the fact that there's both a past personal relationship as friends and that completely professional side where you need to have, like, is there a separation? Does it work well in symbiosis? How does that go? Um, it's it has lots of pros and cons has lots of pros and cons um i think that the pros are is that like there is that there's like a massive element of like interpersonal relationships where it's, you can really be like completely honest transparent with each other and there's there's almost kind of like a sixth sense with each other like you know how people are you know when people are close to maxed out you know when people are like really in the zone um, so there's all those kind of like the unspoken like chemistry that you get like with your childhood friends. Like I don't know if anyone ever played like sports, but it's like it's like playing with that same. Like, like, I don't know where you're from, but in the UK, football or soccer, whatever you call it. Like if you play with like you go back to playing with your whole childhood team, it's like you you already know what everyone's good at. You know what the strengths are. So there's a load of benefits there, um, and it move, removes a lot of bureaucracy as well from the difficulties of working with people that you don't know and like having to like raise ideas and that is always really difficult. Um, but it comes with conflicts. It does come with conflicts as well. Um, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's really interesting. But that, I think that degree of chemistry and that degree of trust just makes up tenfold for any weakness that it does present. Always, always has and always will be football. Um, <laughs> yes, that's sir. Just, that's <laughs> just how it is. Any Americans here, fuck off. It's football. It's not soccer. It never was. Um, uh, back to the like storytelling side of things, um, I had this one question. It was the, the side of expanding a universe, which is, I feel like it's oftentimes been unsuccessful for bigger studios. If you like, just throw it out there, uh, Star Wars, that last trilogy was absolutely fucking horrid. Um, is there, what's your perspective on the, like when you have to go and expand a universe to create a new series? Like, I know this is like very far ahead in the future, but do you have a take on that? Um, it depends what you view as a failure. Um, I mean, like, 
I'm not super familiar with the Star Wars franchise, not going to lie. Um, but I would imagine you'd look at any kind of like relevant statistic. Let's say it's like toy sales, for example. It's like, okay, hey, they shipped a, like a series that a lot of people aren't happy with. But I imagine comics, calendars, toys, all of that has gone parabolic with the adoption of that series. Um, so, I mean, it, it depends. It depends. Like, evolutions can kill franchises, but it also, it, like, depends on the quality of it. Um, that, that being said, we're on, like, Fast and Furious number fucking 32 by now. Um, so, it, it's, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Like, what defines, like, a success or a failure? Like, there's a success in, like, a revenue and performance-based review, or there's success in, like, the kind of the true soul of what a story should be. Um so yeah, it, it is tricky. It is tricky. I, I'd imagine with something like Star Wars, where like it's kind of like past, like past hands figuratively in terms of like writers' room, who's in control. Um, that obviously you are going to lose a lot of the soul that the original did have. Um, yeah, expansions is, is is a tough one. It's a tough one. But I imagine the expansions for Star Wars recently have been exceptionally lucrative for for whoever is involved in it corporately. Yeah, I mean, for the Star Wars thing, basically, you know, there's like the two first trilogies and the third trilogy came out as movies and they kind of just flopped because the storytelling was bizarre and some things happened that just no one fucking knew why they happened. And so like box office wise, they were still huge, just under what was expected, if I remember correctly. But yeah, obviously the most recent ones with like new shows, I don't imagine the amount of money they're making just off of like baby Yoda sales has to be immense but on that same line of that success um i think typically you'll have a movie where you can either have it be super popular a bunch of people watch it but maybe it isn't really good storytelling maybe it doesn't have um a very profound meaning or symbolism behind it right and then you have like it's not particularly critically acclaimed or maybe you can have the opposite where it's like very critically acclaimed not so popular or you can have a mix between the two but if you had to choose one of the two which one do you think you'd choose i mean I, i'm i'm always a big fan of like keeping the soul of it like i mean this is one of the things about i mean you can see it now even with like bridge to akaris like akaris is not the most monetizable thing it's not the most lucrative thing we could like go for However, it's like the thing that makes the most sense in terms of like the soul of the collection, like refining the imperfections and making everything perfect um, is more important. So like I always sit on that side. It makes it it makes it easier to withstand like the struggles, like especially like for, I mean, the bear market's perfect. Like I'm just happy to be working on something I'm just genuinely proud of. Like I could be making way more money elsewhere, like way, way more money at the moment, but it's different now. Like is, this is a project I'm really proud of. There's holders that I really enjoy spending time with. Um, and that's, that's always big for me. So I think like the soul of the things is really important because it gives you that why when there's just no other logical reason to be doing it, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. The, the, would it would it be right to describe it kind of as a as like the meaning behind your work or the purpose behind your work? Yeah, it is is it, it is the why um, beyond just kind of like tangible incentives. Um, tangible incentives just being finances, like. But I, I think even finances is fickle. Um, I do think finances are fickle. Like, you, it needs to be something which you're gonna you're gonna push the extra mile for. Um, and I don't think finances can really supplement that. It needs to be a passion project, like. I often, I, well, I like to view the the fracture as like kind of my life's work. It's going to be the thing that I spend 
the most amount of time doing it's going to be the thing that i progress the most amount so it's like if i'm going to call something my life's work i need to <laughs> i need to be damn proud of it it needs to be fucking good um i don't care about how much money it makes the quality of it needs to be fucking brilliant so do you think i mean I'm obviously there's going to be in your life an after to the fracture, right? A point maybe where you retire or a point where whatever happens and you're not working on it at that point, right? What would you think would be, what would you like to do in that after, I guess, if you've ever thought about it really? Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I would always be connected to the fracture in one way or another to, somehow. But like, let's say we did sell it um, to, to a Marvel, to a, to a Netflix, to whoever that can really just bring it to life in a way that we never could. Um, I mean, like podcasting is something that I always think is fun. I like good conversation. I would like to get back into writing. I do miss writing for Cointelegraph. I think that was also fun. Um, yeah, I think I would just mostly stay around that kind of those sort of circles um, and prioritize other parts of my life. I mean, I've neglected social and family for a long time, um, so maybe look towards strengthening some of that. But I don't plan on being anywhere near that until at least my late 30s. Which yeah. is around like, yeah, 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, how much are you like? I don't want to get too personal, right? But that balance with uh, relationships, family, friends, and everything is definitely something that I think a lot of people struggle within this space. But some people have found uh, their way of, of balancing the two, right? Do you think that's something that you're trying to work on, such want to work on? Or do you think for now it's just good to full focus, full send gods? Well, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I've been working with this coach slash counselor now for eight weeks or more. Um, and a lot of that is uh, working back on those interpersonal relationships and just basic human needs, um, sleeping eight hours, getting exercise, eating well. Um, but I only do all of that to work more effectively. Like the the work at the moment is just always taking priority. And again, just because I do view it as my life's work. Um, like I, I have found a balance, but it's very minimal. Like I do the minimal I need just to get by. Like I have just a minimal amount of social time that I need to get by, the minimal amount of exercise. Um, but every other waking moment is spent working. Um, and yeah, it's tough. It, it, it is really tough. But like, again, like, I, I think that I feel that sacrifices need to be made. Um, you look at any kind of legendary corporate story startup um you need to go beyond what is reasonably expected so i do that frequently um but i yet yeah, try to find those mitigation opportunities as often as possible so i can full send it as hard as possible uh, like you can't full send it on an empty tank so sometimes you do just need to refuel a little bit yeah are there i mean are there any i guess major regrets that happen because of having all these responsibilities and all this balance that you will that you can't have um i would say no not in terms of major regrets um yeah i am fortunate enough to have done a lot of the stuff that i wanted to do in my early 20s so i don't really feel like i'm missing out on any like kind of life um no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's major regrets. So I just wish I had more time to spend on like good friends of mine, good childhood friends of mine. I wish I had more time to spend with family. 
Um, so I think all of that side's important, but I think they, they get it. They get it. Like I have spoken to my family about it. I have spoken to my friends about it and they understand like this is an obscene opportunity and it needs to be treated in an obscene way. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't say any major regrets. So we'd do it all the same, despite how painful it can be. Okay. Yeah. It's the doing it all the same. I mean, if you, if you answer that, I don't want to say you're fine, but it's good, right? Um, so back to what we were talking about earlier, it was completely new world for you to enter this, right? There was no reason from the studies that you'd done before and the life you'd had before that you'd end up in this position, right? So what do you think would be like the biggest lessons you've taken from entering this world and this position and this responsibility? Um, biggest lesson I, could, I couldn't give one I couldn't give one I could give multiple um, I mean ideological philosophy will be the end of you like you just things like the thought of something is never as good as the reality of something so always just having an element of that like whenever you take on a new endeavor like it's never going to be as good as you think it's going to be there's going to be loads of imperfections there um the other lesson is people are really really fucking mean uh you can't please everybody people are really really horrible um and people will, will go out of their way to make your life very very like horrible um so like protecting your mental in doing what you feel is right whatever helps you sleep at night um because no matter what you do people are always going to just be really pissed off uh that's, that's just that's just the reality of it um the other thing is like don't be afraid to detach like i think for, i mean i know some project founders couldn't give a fuck they took their money and they've they, they've gone um but for me like it's an issue of caring too much you get too involved in things well i used to get too involved in things i'd kind of get lured and baited into these arguments some cool saying count about me but sometimes like in order to do the, the, the most effective work you can, you need to separate yourself from the emotional side of things, really look at all of the, like, the opportunities, options, um, and then prioritize what's the important thing to do and execute, um, which can be a lot. And it, like, I used to feel quite guilty about that. Like, I can't detach from this thing. I care so much about it. Like, this isn't going how I want. And, but you're just not going to help anyone in that kind of like frame of mind. Like, you can care too much about something. So just like, finding a way to detach from it has been super important. But yeah, those, those are three lessons. Yeah, fair enough. I, I mean, good lessons altogether, I'd say. Um, do you think you'd ever recommend taking that position to someone? No, no, God, no, God, no. Um, I, I've tried empowering people as well into these kind of positions. I've, I've never seen anyone that i've tried to guide in these positions handle it well like i have not had one like successful opportunity of like onboarding someone into a position of responsibility i think like the the most promising person i've ever seen come into the space from fresh um is nelly san i think nelly san's listening in um he's like phenomenal like he just gets it um he really understands the space he understands the imperfections of people and he like hustles and he gets to work um, but a lot of other people are so principled about it. They're very delicate. They don't understand how, like, um, how unreasonable, like, this space is. And like, that's just overwhelming for people. Um, you see it all the time. You see people burn out. Um, 
it's fucked. It really, really is fucked. And you, you have to be a very particular type of person. I mean, again, like, I don't know if I could do this unless I did it with my best friends. Like, it would be really, really hard. It'd be, it'd be thankless. People hate you for it. Like, in no other in- industry in the world are you losing money and people are calling you greedy. It's, it's fucking crazy. Um, like, you get absolutely, like, pummeled for turning up every day. Whereas the people that left with all the money, like, they don't get a, a word of grief. Um, so it's just horrible. Like you lose all faith in humanity, you give up your whole social life and you have to work just unreasonable hours. It's like the, one of the worst jobs in the world. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it to you unless it was just a, a special moment and opportunity, which I feel like it is for me in my specific situation. Fair enough. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly downer take, but at the same time I get it because it's, it doesn't seem pleasant much of the time for someone, for a founder, right? You take so much shit so often. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it, it, it is really, really shit. It's really, really shit. Um, and you do all of that, and then at the end of the day, you don't get thanks. For, I mean, again, I'm really, really grateful of my community that have been super supportive and grateful of everything that we do. Um, but a lot of project founders don't have communities like that and it's, they spend all day working on something fucking clawing at anything they can just to get more shit from their community because somebody else speculated on somebody else's jpeg that they had no control over it's fucking mental um yeah <laughs> horrible job <laughs> there's no two ways about it if you had more free time what do you think you'd be doing like what's the thing you i guess miss the most uh, doing nothing oh no video gaming playing video games fuck playing video games i used to love playing video games never play video games anymore um yeah miss that so much miss that so much like watching Elden ring come out was brutal like i i I, oh, shit. I got to play like an hour of it um and I, I was like instantly in love instantly in love and i would have sweated that game and i would have found every little nook and cranny but just don't have the time um but yeah, if I if I had more free time, I would play video games again. Miss them like crazy. That one must have been painful for sure. Oh, it was horrible, huge, man. horrible, horrible. <laughs> in a sense, yeah. So you, of... you rugged them just for a second. Yeah. yeah. In a sense, it's fairly similar to Elden Ring. The factor is fairly similar to Elden Ring, just like in the kind of art perspective. In a sense, kind of maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of sim- I mean, we, we, I have stolen a lot from Elden Ring. Um, the, the, the thing that comes to mind is the traits. Um, so with Elden Ring, there's like a huge law behind it. So I've done hours of research on how Elden Ring was created because it's a bit more relevant for work. Um, but the main way that people like, put together the law is just from item descriptions, which is like fascinating. Um, and I thought it was really cool, like narrative device. So it's one of the things that we've done with the Akaris traits is that every trait is named and also has a description. And within all these descriptions are various like, breadcrumb trials of the story. Um, and it's like the only way you can kind of piece together the story is with like a shared mental model of like comparing traits and researching traits. And hopefully that kind of leans into like collectability of traits. Um, so that's something that we just directly saw from Elden Ring. So I think it's just a brilliant way to, to paint a world. That's hella fucking cool. Um, yeah. Aside from, like, just to go on that tangent, like, aside from Elden Ring, what are the games that you used to play? Well, not Elden Ring then, but... Oh my god. COD 4 or Modern Warfare Remastered. I was, like, borderline Solid. semi-pro. Uh, <laughs> it was, like, all I played. 
um, do hours and hours and hours of that. Um, obviously, when Warzone came out, it was good fun as well because, like, yeah, everyone was in lockdown because of COVID. Um, so, like, all of my old school friends were back on that, and it was a good, like, social game. Um, apart from that, like, a lot of the RPG games, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, RuneScape back in the day was a big sweat on RuneScape. Um, Bioshock, Fallout, any like the apocalyptic franchises, like I'm so into all of those. Um, but yeah, Modern Warfare is where I spent the hours. Yeah, see uh, us go for me. That was huge. Damn, yeah, solid yeah. choice. I, I like it because it's uh, it's connected to NFTs. I always think that it's. I, th- I think I've actually answered your tweets regarding this at one point. But see us go for me is still one of the best example of NFTs in gaming. It just makes so much sense. Oh, yeah, 100%. But yeah, that's huge. But so you can't you can't actually spend time on gaming, so let's talk about something else. <laughs> um, so for the, for the art that's been created, because at this point there's both all the PFPs, but what I like the most is, um, is the actual landscapes you've done because they're fucking beautiful. So oh, yeah. what was the creative process behind that? The landscapes are interesting. The landscapes are really interesting. Um, And a lot of it is kind of experimental. So this is what it kind of feels like when I said that we are writing this out loud. So we're putting stuff out there and seeing what gets the best reception and what doesn't get the best reception. Um, But yeah, the creative process around that is kind of, again, we got to think about this apocalyptic landscape. We got to think about where it's like geographically located. We got to think about the different kind of like weather extremities and like kind of like the trials and tribulations that will force the character in um what are the kind of structures are they kind of futuristic and more bridge desks or are they more kind of like weird manipulations of the natural world which would be more associated to the gods so these kind of like ragtag bunkers that are put together by the forgotten um so yeah that's a lot of the creative process and then like we usually find like one landmark piece um, whether it be the, the huge fracture ring symbols that you saw in that blue landscape, I think that's my favorite one. Um, whether it's these kind of the, the like the Colossus images, so it's like that big like, Colossus god like coming out of the ground, for example. Like you find like that one dynamic image, which is like really like the the thing that pulls you into the image, and then building out the world around that, like giving it size, giving it context. Um, yeah, landscapes are, are always yeah super super fun, um, and that's what will fill out our art books in the future. I think one of my favorite ones is the one that has that arc with the circle in the middle. I don't know if you see what yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's sick. It's so sick. It's... I know exactly the one. Yeah, that one's special, man. That one's really cool. Um, is there any, aside from Elden Ring, what, where do you like take inspiration from for both the stories and the art? I mean, Bioshock. Bioshock's a big one. Um, I mean, the whole like premise of like Adam uh, is really similar to like how Omnium works. Obviously, there's a lot of diff- differences, but yeah, a lot of um, inspiration from Bioshock. Uh, I think what else? Um, to be honest, between like Bioshock, Fallout, and Elden Ring, like that's a lot of the inspiration. But then, what was that other fucking game called? Was it Scourge? Fuck no. There was another game that came out recently which did provide us with a, a bit of inspiration but a lot of the inspiration just comes from like the truths about the characters, what I was saying earlier. And it's like, okay, right, now we've got like this 
this Brutus character Titus that's got this god complex that had this like um, corrupt real estate empire. Like, let's say, well, what kind of situation would he come from? What kind of like world would he live in? What would his house look like? What would his like vehicles look like? What would he wear? Um, and then like it paints into these like really interesting situations, but like high level, I think those are kind of like the root inspirations. Those three games. Okay, um, just like a completely random question. Have you worked with Utopia? He's an artist on Soul. Yeah, yeah, Utopia did the okay. um, the Omnium Crystals for us. Um, yeah, big holder of ours, and yeah, we're all a huge fan of Utopia. Okay, because I was looking at some of the art, and I'm like, this looks not exactly like what he'd do, but I feel like it was it's it's just such a it's a fit that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you check out the Omnium Crystals, uh, he did all of them, and he absolutely smashed them. He also did three backgrounds on the Bridge Collection as well. Okay, is that is working with one to one artists something that you find important at all, or is that not that much on your timeline? Oh my god, it's like all we do. Um, I mean, like way, way, way back, we used to do the O to Arts so every week, every Wednesday. We would do an, an auction with a random one of one artist that would do like a fracture related piece, and then we'd auction off that piece, and it was just like a way of celebrating the fracture and then also celebrating these one of one artists. Um, and pretty much everyone we work with is like a one of one artist. Um, so it's like something that we've always got a keen eye on, um, something that we always work on. I mean, like Zatan, like who does a lot of our 3D work, um, someone we found for the one of one art space. Like we're fans of the people that we work with before we work with them, like <laughs> as like a routine, um, as a routine reality. Uh, and I think like it goes towards like a value of ours, like again, like. We need to make sure that the art's brilliant. Like we got to lean into our strengths. There's some extremely good and competitive projects out there, um, and to like continue like holding our own. Like we need to lean into the niche and we need to do it brilliantly. Um, so that has to involve working with the best. Okay, so now on to like some kind of rapid fire questions, just because like not to linger too much on them and to like see your take on those. Um, IRL events becoming bigger and bigger people are putting up huge things is that something on your guys's uh timeline is that when where what's the plan on that so yeah we 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 always well we used to always do the IRL events um we were a bit mindful within a bear market because they can be very expensive and they don't typically result in a lot of floor price action um obviously Kleino's had this digital collectible meta but i think that kind of maxed out and i think the previous one was a bit sour for a lot of people that missed out on it um for us the next big big event is breakpoint where we're planning on doing like a fracture experience um so similar to the d gods nyc thing we'll be we're looking at getting 40 rooms within a ho- an amsterdam hotel within the canal um and then just doing like a whole fracture experience so we're going for breakfast together having these various like amas having the nighttime events and then yeah hopefully fingers crossed on a big party with the uh, stoned apes to finish it off oh shit banger i'd, I'd like completely random idea but some kind of like fracture dystopian i don't even know how you could pull that off but like an experience that's really don't in spill that the world. alpha don't spill okay, the alpha <laughs> that would be insane um okay so on to the next one um maybe a sour topic last time like the part where you worked with a lot of one-to-one artists that was very hyped up was all the bonk nfts is that something you regret what's the how did that end up at this point now? Because it's been like two months. What's the, what's the conclusion, I guess? 
I mean, like, the whole the whole thing was just wild for us. Um, I mean, it all started from people like just trying to burn as much of this bonk token as possible. Like everyone was building tools, everyone was integrating into their projects. Like famous foxes had the bonk thing. People were making raffles, and I was like, "What's a way that we can just burn fucking loads of bonks?" And it was like, "Well, we could just do a PFP collection for them. Um, all the mints would just burn all the bonk." Um, all the royalties will go towards burning bonk and it'd be kind of this, like collective like communal thing and I was like well we don't really have the bandwidth to run another project so let's just make it super community focused and let's fucking see what happens then lo and behold like John Lay wants to get involved DJ Pearl wants to get involved and literally all of the fucking best artists in the space like got involved um, then we fucking made it onto the news and everyone was writing all these articles about us and it just fucking exploded like beyond reason um it was crazy like it was just like every day just non-stop euphoria um and i just didn't even have like a second to just like reflect consider or think like the collection was like from in the idea inception from like passing it around the team meeting nine days later it launched so it was like nine days the whole thing started and ended um which is fucking wild and in that time we put together the whole pfp collection we did the website we did the mint and reveal mechanic um, which was again very complex and ahead of its time um, and yeah we tried giving it to the community um, I think there was a lot of lessons learned there like it didn't go as planned um, like the, the floating hand thing for a start like obviously something that we joked about internally we're like hey this is like Rayman it will kind of be fun like again the whole priority is just fucking burning this bonk token but turns out it was not funny and people were yeah fuming about it um and it just became this whole fucking narrative um people were spending obscene amounts of money on these bonks um at like 20 soul plus in like in like mass and like the influencers were kind of like feeding into themselves and everyone was like buy this buy that um yeah and it was it got kind of crazy and like I mean, even after it revealed, it started pumping. I was, like, buying more because I was like, this is crazy. This, like, really felt like a movement on Solana. Um, but then, yeah, like, the narrative just changed so impossibly quickly. Um, and because it was a community project, we were left in a position where there wasn't really a lot we could do. Like, we made the website for them. We made the Discord for them. We've built up these community proposals. But we just can't come in there and be like, right, we're doing this, that, and the other thing. Like, everything has to be a community decision. Um, so that was like the first learning curve there. It's like seeing if the community would kind of like organize themselves like with a bit of guidance, but they just didn't really manage to. Um, so then there was like various leadership positions that kind of like arose within bunks, but then yeah, they kind of just stopped turning up to work. Like there's no two ways about it. Um, so now like just recently, just yesterday, um, Omni is like helping out again. So like we're back into the discord, like we're doing the announcements, we'll be running the town halls. Um, We'll likely put in a proposal just to say, like, hey, do you want to just hand this over to Omni so that we can start actually, like, doing stuff here? Um, but, yeah, like, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I think it was huge. It was huge for the fracture. I mean, like, I mean, it, yeah, like, it was really big for the fracture. It was really big for Omni. We got so many clients out the back of it. We burnt nearly, I think, $450,000 worth of the bonk token. Um, we did lose a lot of money on bonks. We lost a, as a project we lost a lot of money on bonks which sucks um especially after building out the dev things building out the website spending money on the artist spending money on the discord we lost money on it um and that really hurt um and people like despise me for it like again like, like i've got multiple death threats at this point but i had death threats for bonks um i've got people still flaming me for it um i've got people blaming omni for various things that happened there um so yeah it's tough but no i don't regret it i don't regret it and i still think it's got a bright future ahead of it um 
I think just various small things. I think like burning two bonks to mint a new bonk that's got like a relevant trait, whether it be like a saga phone or something, just a way to start deflating the supply, get these back in like pop reference, um, making various memes from them. I'm still, I'm actually really proud of the art. I think the art is strong. I think it's funny. I think it's cute. Um, it's, it's, I think it's better. It's infinitely better than Sappy Seals and Pudgy Penguins. So I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, but yeah, the whole thing was an experiment. It got out of control and it just it ended in a really sour way. Um, but it is what it is. You have to play the hand that you get dealt and, and continue to move on. Sappy Seals and Pudgy Penguins catching flack. Um, so actually, like, let's go for our last question, given we have to like keep this on timing. Um, are there people that you've met specifically in Web3 that have been like a big influence and help to you that you like specific people that you can mention? In, in Web3? Yeah. Uh, I mean, where to start? Um, Cab Animation, founder of Klanos, has been massive for me ever since he's joined. He's provided just like invaluable help. Um, Stark, one of our biggest holders, holds, holds 500 gods, 500 bridged and 500 bunks, hasn't sold a single thing. Um, he's like become one of our advisors and he's, he's helped us out of some incredibly difficult situations. He's the best negotiator I've ever met. Um, he's just a machine, um, massively influential. Um, Ilmoy, founder of Tensor as well. Um, we went through some really, really difficult times developer wise. Um, every time we had a bit of like an issue, I'd give him a bell and he would spend the time and talk me through issues and provide solutions. Um, yeah, huge, huge um, benefit just individual that's helped a lot. Um, yeah, I think they're the main three that come to mind. I'm, I'm confident I'm missing out on loads. So, Toshi, Ceylon, uh, Warbucks. Warbucks has been massive. Um, Chartfer as well, another big homie. Yeah, just so many. Too many to name. We have a great social circle here. Yeah, that's funny. I didn't expect those people as the first names. I expected Ceylon and Toshi because it's like, the fellow British people, right? But then it's like... Hey, I, I mean, awesome. I, didn't get, I didn't get a lot of time to spend with them. I mean, like, Ceylon and Toshi have been to dinner with them a few times. Toshi invited me to his wedding, which was, which was really wholesome. Um, George, I mean, fucking George. Like, George lives near me um, in Portugal, and we spend a lot of time together. Um, someone also I lean on for support. Um, very insightful person, connected with really good circles as well. Yeah, so, too many to name. Too many to name. Okay, awesome. Well, on that note, um, let's. I think we're, we've basically been running for an hour and a half, so I think it's a good place to stop. Uh, typically, this is like I leave this moment for you to shout anyone out or shout anything out, whatever you want to say. Basically, just go off, I guess. I mean, well, shouts out Pedro. Uh, thank you so much for hosting the spaces. Uh, it was good. I enjoyed the conversation. It's rare that I get to to talk about these things that we did today. Um, for the community that stuck around for the whole hour and a half, means a lot. Uh, Omni, Freak, Squanch. Ah, oh, Birdmon, how you doing? Hats, good to see you. John, Star, Amada, Gooch, Sarah, Beasley, FPL, Diamond, Snoop, Mount, Sykes, Solo, all the homies. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for, for hanging out with us for this, for this little while. Um, and yeah, I'm sure I'll see you in the next one. Well, thanks a lot for joining. Thanks everyone else for joining. And like, same thing. Thank you for all the homies who've been showing up for the past episodes. Um, that was me. Next episode, probably going to be with maybe people from Tensor, maybe people from Clanosaurus, whoever I managed to get. Uh, usually it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, but Wednesdays worked better. And um, yeah, you can grab the NFT up top. 
Um, I'm going to try to make something out of it. I say this every episode. It's going to happen one day. And uh, yeah, thanks all for joining Hex. And best of luck with the fracture. And we'll talk soon. Maybe in Breakpoint. For yeah, much love, Amy. Talk soon. Talk soon, man. Bye. 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 Thank you.